week, I'll talk to expert educators about how to best address challenging issues in education. I'm your host, Wendy Amato, and this week I'm joined by Tammy Boyer of American College of Education. Tammy, welcome and thank you for joining me. Thank you, Wendy. It's nice to be here. Excited. You and I have uh, co-presented at conferences before, and we share some education mission priorities. I'm excited about our discussion. I am as well. Yes, lots of things to discuss and uh, presenting as well. It's always been a pleasure with you. I want to jump in and ask you about a quote that guides you. Can you share? Is it too personal? Um, nope, not personal at all. So it is actually a quote that I wrote for my son, who was at college at the time, struggling a bit to kind of find his way. And it says, celebrate without gloating, self-reflect without crushing your spirit, start every conversation with the intent of being constructive instead of destructive, end every day believing that you did the best that you can do and start every day knowing you can make a difference. I love it. Why? Was it really that? is the quote that kind of drives, even though I wrote it for him, it really drives how I conduct myself as a leader in different organizations from the K-12 now to higher ed. You wrote it for him. It has become your guide. Each section of that quote is really important in education. If we're thinking about leaders, for example, I would love for us to talk a little bit about what we wish leaders would understand when you say celebrate without gloating. I think everybody, well, maybe not everybody, but potentially people have been in that situation where they maybe love the culture of their school, but they have that leader that boasts a little too much about all that they've accomplished. And so that celebrate without gloating really kind of helps you reflect and say, remember, you didn't do this by yourself. Even though you might be at the helm, you might be at, you know, the, the steering wheel of making this whole bus move. It's still a whole group of people that are making it tick and that we have to remember that and we can't just take it upon ourselves to pat ourselves on the back. We need to make sure that that hand is going forward and patting other people on the back. So we can celebrate, well, we should be proud of our accomplishments as school leaders, but you're, it's just that edge of um, maybe the, the focus is not quite right. It's the I instead of the we. Tammy, I know you're doing some research right now and I'd love to hear about it. Um, so I'm actually finishing my doctoral program with American College of Education. And my dissertation is on the trajectory of leadership and getting a better understanding of why they stay or leave the K-12 system and how does professional development impact that decision to depart or remain in the K-12 system. There's a lot of teacher shortages. We agree with that. And teachers are the direct impact for student achievement. But that leader, that churn of leaders that can come and go in a building, change the culture of that building, which in turn change everything about what's happening for student achievement. It could be a real domino effect. We've Absolutely. certainly heard a lot of statistics about teacher departure, teacher exit, and maybe a little bit of awareness is growing about leadership departures right now. I mean, people have got to see that relationship. I'm glad you're researching it. 
And I'm glad to hear that you're seeing an association between professional development and that decision to stay or go. Do you want to share any of your early findings or is it too secret? Oh, it's, it's not that secret. Um, <laughs> I, I read recently, I mean, the, the uptick is happening in departures for administrative leaders in a K-12 system. It's 18% um, every year historically are leaving, whether they're deciding to leave the K-12 system altogether, or maybe they're leaving to go to a district position. Mm -hmm. But either way, it's still change. And we all know change, whether good or bad, is still change that you have to deal with. It's still disruptive and that domino effect that you talked about in the K-12 setting. Any change forces a learning curve, new habits, relationships have to be grown and developed. Yeah, it's a new start every time someone comes brand new and sits at that desk. Absolutely. If we think about our school leaders as uh, the people who validate us in the classroom, who tell us we're doing a good job, or who inspire us, the turnover in leadership means that teachers have to almost prove themselves again and again to leaders that come and go. Teachers can be hard on themselves. What does it mean when they have to prove themselves to new leaders? Enough is enough, right? Absolutely. And, you know, in turn, I think leaders also have to prove themselves. So that going back to the what I wrote for my son, that self-reflect without crushing your spirit. I think that goes for teachers and leaders. We all as human beings need to really reflect, you know, take a moment in silence and say, how did I do? How could I have done better? And also not dwell on it as much as some of us do right? It's when new leaders come in, sometimes teachers are just the, we're the first to say, how can I make my mark with this new leader? And sometimes leaders are the same way. We have to work collaboratively as that new person's coming in the door to say, okay, we're all sitting at the table now. What's our goal? Student achievement. How are we getting there? And that celebrate without gloating and self-reflecting is a huge part of that because each individual has to do it in order to make that collaborative leadership that grows a team that supports students and stakeholders throughout the building. Collaborative leadership is an important topic for us. And it's one where I think you and I both wanna push hard in education and, and insist that collaborative leadership get dialed up. What does it look like? And what does it look like at different grade levels? Collaborative leadership. Someone that walks into a building where collaborative leadership exists, doesn't realize that the SRO isn't part of the administrative team, that real doesn't realize that the, the student walking down the hall isn't on, isn't a hall monitor. I think it's every stakeholder being valued enough to feel like they're empowered to bring whatever it is they bring to that leadership role because everybody brings something. And so I think when you're looking at it, it's it's that cohesiveness, right? It's like everything's working as it should. And it's a, a fine-tuned machine. It takes a lot to get there. And then at, at different levels, collaborative leadership at the administrative level looks a lot different than it would at the student level. But collaborative leadership still exists at the student level because they can decide what that looks like for them. And then when they have ownership of that, 
That's when they set the expectations and hold each other accountable for the outcomes. And that's really what collaborative leadership is all about. I love classrooms where you walk in and everything is buzzing with productivity. Conversations are happening. The, the topic is on task and you, you have to look around to find a teacher. That to me is an amazing classroom. I hope that what we're talking about in collaborative leadership is sort of like the next level up of that concept where you can walk into a school building and everybody's pulling in the same direction. Everybody understands what the expectations are. So you don't have to have one person who's leading the charge. Everyone's on board. Absolutely. And, and I think the people who often feel like they're leading the charge are classroom teachers. Sometimes they feel like they're on an island teaching that class by themselves and kind of talking through things, preparing for today. I was talking to my husband and then remembering something that I did in the classroom that really kind of embodied collaborative leadership at the student level. I was a middle school math teacher. I would come in and my little whiteboards, right? Those individual little whiteboards, every student had one. I'd present, I'd do a model, put the a next problem up and they would have their boards and they'd write their answers. And I'd say one, two, three boards up and they all put their boards up. And then we'd look around and I'd say, tell me what you got. Hey, have a conversation with the person next to you about what you got, because maybe one person had the right answer. One person didn't have the right answer, but now they're working together to really figure out what the steps were, where was something missed? And then we all got to talk. Was it my delivery? Was it their, you know, was it how they gained the information? Where could we all do a better job at making sure every person in that classroom got that content to proficiency? And so it was a really great way in a collaborative leadership way for uh, my students to work together. Tell me about middle school math. How did how did you become a middle school math teacher? Um, kicking and screaming. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> um, I was an elementary school teacher for many years, and I I loved that um, military spouse. And we relocated, and a middle school principal found my resume online that I applied for elementary school and said, "Come on over. We think you'd be a great fit." And it was the best job I ever had. I loved it. Not only am, do I have a, a, a kind of a knack for math and teaching it, but I love the middle school age. I thought it was such a great, um, it's a critical time where you really can be there for students and give them guidance as an adult when they don't necessarily want to listen to their parents. Um, so it was a, it was a beautiful time in teaching for me, for sure. I've got a middle school background also, and it is a special age. I'm just yes. partial. That, that it, there's something really amazing that happens in that middle school band. And it takes special teachers. Absolutely. And, you know, back to that collaborative leadership, one of the things that we did when I got to be a middle school, when I was a middle school math teacher, we obviously there's standards. We're all teaching different ways, all following the standards. We'd teach get the same test and then we'd sit down and say, your kids better did better on fractions and your kids did better on probability. And my kids did better when they, you know, on this. And then we'd say, okay, reteach, guess what? 
you're teaching my kids fractions and I'm going to teach your kids this. And we switched around because once again, collaboratively, we understood that delivery of instruction is so critical and hearing it from another individual in a different presentation platform could be the reason why they gain that proficiency. So that was a huge step towards collaborative leadership that my team uh, was willing to take. And it worked out really great for us. Thank you for that personal example. You you live collaboratively and to have a group of co-teachers and, and take ego out of the way and say, well, let's just switch because you're good at that. You're good at that. I'm good at this. That's what needs to happen in education everywhere at all levels. Absolutely. I mean, it's, I, I look back now and think, well, I get to be a middle school math teacher and think, how in the world did I ever do it as an elementary school teacher, having to be kind of like the guru of all of all these things to subjects, all people, right? And then you think, well, it's, that's a lot, right? It's um, so relying on the expertise of others is a true way to collaborate with your cohort and do that collaborative leadership because it's, it, we already as educators have to keep so much in our heads. Why not rely on the expertise of others to make sure that all students are given the ability uh, to find proficiency in their standards at the, at the grade level they're at? Tammy, you and I have talked about teacher and leader certainty and uncertainty. In what ways are teachers and leaders uncertain? I think when the uncertainty comes in from lots of different levels, right? One, for me, it comes um, from whether you have district support or not. And then from the teacher, whether you have leadership support, there can be uncertainty there. And that's why it, again, is critical to really have a seat at the table and understand what the expectations are and build that collaborative leadership. Uncertainty with standards that's always a fun thing when you're starting the new year and your state has now redistributed standards to a grade up and a grade below. And now you've got to get those kids caught up and, and all of those pieces and parts. And the background that your students come from is uncertain. The day that you're going to have is uncertain, right? And so I think when we are looking at the K-12 system, especially as leaders, we have to understand all of those pieces and parts that are impacting not only our students, right? But sometimes we overlook the uncertainty that our teachers are experiencing. And we've got to recognize that and provide them with resources that help them really fill in the gaps or elevate a skill that they already have so they can share it with their coworkers. And once again, embody that collaborative leadership. I don't want leaders to feel like they have to be the resource for providing certainty and stability and support. What else can leaders do and make available to their teachers to support them? Well, and this goes back to my dissertation. One of the things that I really believe in is sitting down with each educator, even though it takes time and saying, what are you good at? What's your passion? right? You don't want to have somebody in teaching middle school language arts when their passion is history, right? Everybody needs to be appropriately placed. And then you have to understand their passion and what their gaps are. And 
that's where you start. You don't provide everybody the same exact professional development from the get-go. Those days that you come in on in-service and go, everybody sit and do this. One of the reasons why I chose the topic for my dissertation is because when I was a high school administrator, one of my professional development courses was to learn how to do a grade book, which was not appropriate for an administrator. I had already done that at the teacher level, but it was what the district had available for me. So when you sit down, you understand the dynamics of your teachers, what they're good at and what they're struggles are. We call those grows and glows, right? So what are they good at that they can grow in? What do they, what do they need? How can they glow and help others? Um, You find professional development for them for that. And it doesn't have to be something that's homegrown either. There's organizations like Learner's Edge, where you pretty much can dot out a professional plan for your educators, say, you know what? take this and then take this and then look at this. Here's classroom management. Here's teacher leadership. Here's 21st century learning. There's all of these bits and pieces of this grab and go content that they can immediately apply. If leaders will stop taking ownership of the development of their teachers and really look to an organization like Learner's Edge to take that charge, they will see exponential growth in their teachers and how they are bringing that learning to a different level to meet that student achievement. I think the use of organizations and partners and outside resources allows a leader to provide really unique pathways, customized pathways that allow teachers to build and grow as as they need to. And and whether you convert your Learner's Edge courses into an an ACE program and decide that you want a a different kind of degree or or credential, the school principal, school leader can't be responsible for that alone. We have to take advantage of the pathways that are out there. Absolutely. And I think elevating that pathway, the the partnership that we have is where it all starts, getting that message out there and having people understand that not only can you provide that content that educators really need on a personal level to grow them as an educator, then they're gaining that knowledge, but also gaining graduate credit to either do a lane change master's plus 15 or higher, or go and apply that towards a master's or even an EDD. There's stepping stones that really encourage that educator to get the professional development that speaks to them. And that's one of the things that I love about Learner's Edge. And you and I talk about it all the time. You guys meet teachers and leaders where they are and what they need, which is great. But then we encourage them through our partnership to be lifelong learners and continue that education onto an advanced degree. I love it when organizations by educators for educators work together because we can provide so much more in collaboration with one another. Absolutely. And don't get me wrong. I love where I am now. I love working for ACE, but had this opportunity existed back in the day when I was an administrator, maybe I would still be an administrator because I would be getting the professional development that I needed versus sitting and learning how to redo a grade book. Tammy, thank you for pushing us towards excellence in education and in leadership and for proposing solutions to my fellow educators. Thanks for joining us for this conversation. 
You can find links to the topics that Tammy and I discussed in the show notes or at teachingchannel.com slash podcast. If you leave us a rating and review on whatever podcast listening app you use, it will help more educators to find us and to be successful. I'll see you again soon with another episode. Thanks for listening. 